0: Geek.
1: Hey, it's Jay Stu, and I'm here with the lovely Sarah Jane. Hello. What can we say about David Naughton?
0: What can we say that we haven't already said about David Naughton?
1: So, I was lucky enough to have hosted a panel for him at Fright Bear in the Falls. Yes. He was primarily there because of his role in American Werewolf in London.
0: Well, and yes. If
1: it's a horror con, why wouldn't that be the reason he was there? But I'd never seen it until this year. Yeah. But here's where I know him from. In the uh, yeah. 70s and 80s, when I was a kid, he did a run of Dr. Pepper commercials. Yeah, he did. And I knew of them because they were on all the time, like Saturday morning cartoons, yeah. at night, everything.
0: I, I mainly remember them from Saturday morning cartoons because they were, you know, it was like a pop. So yeah. you want kids, cartoons, and sugar all in one go. And
1: I never told him this at the con, but I'm pretty sure like those commercials are the reasons I tried Dr Pepper in the first place and <laughs> why I'm still drinking it today. Shout out to Dr Pepper if you want to like send us some free samples. And I also knew him from, well, he had a top five hit on the radio in the late '70s called "Making, Making It." it. Which uh, was from a TV series of the same name. I knew it because for some reason I own the Meatball soundtrack.
0: I love the movie Meatballs, and it was in that um, cabin. It wasn't the cabin; it was like where they have meals and everything.
1: Yeah, they were having a party, and there's yeah. an iconic scene where Bill Murray's dancing to that.
0: Yeah, they had it cranking, and I was like, "Oh my god, that was
1: so <laughs> and of course, awesome. I, I knew him from other TV appearances. Like I was, we we actually told him at the show that literally, like. A few days before they announced his appearance, we had just seen him on MacGyver, so I got to see American Werewolf in London finally, before we did the panel, and I, yeah. I loved it. It was a great movie, it great was effects, a
0: fantastic movie, and the the visual and special effects for that movie were just, for its time, out of this world. Like it, it's just top-notch stuff
1: and i said this in the panel for an 80s movie you can't tell it's an 80s movie no like it still holds up
0: oh my god yeah um i didn't like i never liked the ending i always got sad
1: kind of ends abruptly it right?
0: really does boy does it and i was always like no there's gotta be a way to save him Spoiler, if you haven't seen this movie by now, get out from under the rock you're living under Yeah. and see this movie. There's no spoilers. This movie's from the 80s. Come on.
1: So I just wanted to say thank you to David Notton for being so nice to us.
0: Absolutely. He was a sweetheart and a gentleman, and it was Very just a, cool. a pleasure to it, be able to speak with him. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
1: And thank you, James Ponce, for... Uh, Asking me to do the panel, I couldn't believe he was still a, a, a panel that was available by the time he asked Yes, Yeah,
0: just the simple fact that the David Naughton panel was like still up in the air without a host. It was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: without any further ado. Yes. Here's the David Naughton panel. And uh, I, I hope you enjoy. Ow. Got some questions for you right off the bat here. <laughs> uh, have you ever worked in Canada before?
2: Yes, I have uh, both in Toronto uh, and in Vancouver. Uh, see, in the Toronto, I did a th- an episode of the Twilight Zone. Do you, do you remember the Twilight Zone TV series yeah. Yeah. when that was going on? And uh, sorry, that's all right. Um, hello. <laughs> so that was. Uh, I'm trying to think. Of, it's it was basically. I, I'm trying to think of the title of it, but I was basically a guy that had cameras everywhere in my hu- in my house, and I was being or I discovered them and found out that everything that I was doing was being tracked, basically, which is sort of then was used, you know, in a Jim Carrey movie. Yeah. Um, and if you can guess the title, Show. pardon? The Truman Show. Thank you. So, <laughs> the Truman Show. Yeah, but. Uh, and it was in December in Toronto. So I remember on one scene having to run outside. And, you know, I got about 10 feet and went, uh, I'm going to freeze right here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was that. And then, yes, I uh, did a couple of movies. Oh, I also, let's see, I did a movie called The Boy in Blue, which does anybody has anybody ever seen that? It stars Nick Cage. It's one of his early movies. Oh, wow. And he played the uh 19th century canadian rower ned hanlon a real person um this is one to look for when you're out there looking through the bin for a you know what's the boy in blue but that was a film uh that was you know really fun to make because it's you know it's 19th century and we shot all around Ontario, and uh it was uh it was fun with as i said nick cage uh the Dales sisters are Jennifer Dale and Cynthia Dale you know, are those names that anybody yeah. remembers yeah I mean and other uh, you know good supporting cast uh, and on the on the west coast um diff- different TV projects you know that was always Vancouver was always a big location for a lot of TV uh and fi- well a ton of films as well but, um I did a number of shows there and uh you know it was always fun i mean vancouver is a beautiful city i don't know if you've been been to it but i recommend it it's a really beautiful place to go visit and it's right. and you can ski i mean you know this you can be staying in a hotel in downtown vancouver and go ski for the day and come back i I love that and then there's also an enormous park i'm trying to think the name of it Stanley. stanley stanley yeah which is pretty spectacular Anyway, and you didn't want to hear that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not I'm a travel agency. Now, if you buy these tickets, so uh, anyway, back to you. Y- the answer was yes. Very cool. <laughs> what answer, the,
0: question?
2: Yeah, the answer is yes. I've worked in Canada and enjoy it. Uh-huh. And worked with many Canadians you know, down. You know, where where I live on the west coast. And also, I, my wife and I have a place in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, Pinehurst, North Carolina, big golf area.
1: Cool. Uh, now, when I was a kid, I remember you from the Dr. Pepper commercials.
2: Yeah. Well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I brought a prop. Come on. You guys want to know what those are? Um, who knows? Has anyone seen these commercials? Yeah. I yeah, so this – I didn't get the question yet.
1: So well, I'm just I wondering um, sure how did that come about, and they were on all the time, I remember. So you must have been getting recognized everywhere, I would have.
2: Yeah, that was sort of one of the first things um, – that sort of brought me to national attention with 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 those spots. You know, I I had uh, graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and I knew at that point during those times I wanted to be an actor. I knew before that that I was wanting to pursue acting. My older brother, James Naughton, uh, was already establishing himself in New York. And so I, uh, you know, I, I applied to drama school in London, Because I thought, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great to study, wouldn't it be great to live in London? And so I went over to a drama school called Lambda, which is the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, which was kind of funny because there wasn't a lot of music involved. But it was an opportunity to study acting uh, and, and really learn classical, you know, approach and the British approach to acting, which is not, you know, which is very dissimilar to American approach which we can talk about, but I don't think that's a... That's for another howling experience. Uh, So, um, I don't know. Where where, where should I go with this?
1: Uh, Well, uh, my next question... Oh, for Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper, yeah.
2: Yeah, I lost my train of thought because I was going, God, that was so long ago. This was so long ago. The advantage of going there was that as students, it was pretty inexpensive, I mean, I don't, you know, for the time, and this, this was, you know, in the 70s, uh, but uh, also we got to see every great actor on the West End, I mean, you know, I, and I also worked, you know, offhand, you know, as they see it being paid out the, out the back door at the Royal Court Theater, down the street was this little show called the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which was premiering, you know, um. Got to see Laurence Olivier on stage, John Gielgud, Alec Guinness, Paul Schofield on stage, which is a totally different experience, you know. And as an acting student, you're just kind of like, <laughs> oh, my God. And we also had, at Lambda, we had some, some of these. John Gielgud came to Lambda um, and other working actors in the West End Theater come and talk to us. And so what we got a chance was to just realize that these are real people, you know. These aren't just... Names you've you know seen or heard or films, they actually you know get up in the morning and they go to work and they happen to be working in the theater that night. So it gave us a chance to really realize that you know that can happen. It can happen to you too. So that was that you know. Um, and then five years after that experience of going to Lambda, I stayed there two years. The problem was for me, I couldn't work there. Couldn't really make the contacts which is really what you want to try to do when you're starting out as an actor is who do you know? You know Who do you know? Who, who, who's going to be the one to uh, get you to a door that may open or not for you? So there weren't a whole lot of contacts to be made for me as an American uh, acting student. So I came back to New York and um, uh, just started, which was the last thing I wanted to do was like start in New York as an actor. Like, here I am, that happened. Now, I grew up in Connecticut, so going to New York was, you know, uh, something that we did as a family, uh, when I was young, and just the thought of this big, huge, you know, the, the, you know, the, the concrete jungle of Manhattan was not where I thought I'd try to start my career, but, uh, it so happened that, um, I did, uh, start, you know, off-Broadway, you know, auditioning for, when you come out of drama school, you think you're ready for, you know, anything, and, uh, I felt quite prepared, and I, it's just so funny, i as it happened, I, I got a job with the New York Shakespeare Festival. Uh, they did, you know, plays in the in Central Park, and it was for uh, a production of Hamlet, starring Sam Waterston. Uh, and so I uh, was there. I was there. I was. I used to say, if there was a Tony, and the Tonys are the Broadway awards, and we moved to the Lincoln Center, so it was technically a Broadway show, but a limited engagement. This. This production of Hamlet was four hours long, if you can imagine. We did the un- uncut version, the long version of uh, Hamlet. It was a long play. It was. I wanted them to say, "Why don't you say like, bring a lunch?" You know, huh. on the ads. But uh, it was, the, you know, there that I got had a commercial agent it was interested in sending me out for things. And one one day, I went and said, "Hey, there's." Three commercials for Dr. Pepper. Do you know what that is? I said, I'm familiar with Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they used to have different things. I mean, it used to be, you know, so misunderstood was the the whole idea of the jingle. Um, and uh, so I went to this audition, and it was all these, you know, New York dancers. I mean, you know, we're talking about probably the best kind of, you know, the best in the world, really, in terms of shows. If you've been to a Broadway show, is These guys know how to dance. I mean, they've been fully trained. They're doing it all the time. They're in classes every day, or they're teaching classes. And here I am, this, you know, schmo from Lambda coming in. But it so happened, uh, and it was something that I sort of took with me, was like, when you don't think you have a chance, just go in and do your thing. And it so happened I was um, just kind of having a good time at this audition, which they spotted and called me back. And I had another call back. So it started out with like 400 guys in T-shirts and jeans at a dance audition. And I could, you know, I I wasn't trained but had taken a few classes of different kinds of things. But um, I got picked for this part, which was a, you can imagine this now. We shot a 60-second commercial and two 30-second commercials. Total of two minutes, 22-day shoot. Now, 22-day shoot, you know, uh, many of you know, maybe... Been involved in, in little films or independent films, you can make a big old movie in 22 days, you know. But we had two minutes to shoot this. The reason for the length of it was it was a coast-to-coast movie. It was sort of a Pied Piper idea, and I was—they were introducing this new concept of what it was like to not only drink Dr. Pepper but to be a Pepper. <laughs> and I was going to be the Pepper guy, and I was going to start in New York and end up in San Francisco, dancing across America collecting all these new peppers well that was the idea of the uh concept and it was uh you know it was a big flash success um the first year so we knew when we made these that they were pretty cool uh we we shot in different places like um st louis with the big arches you know just landmarks down in new orleans in the french quarter um finished in in at uh the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. This is the West Coast for me. Okay, this is the East Coast. If you want to go this way. <laughs> okay, then. anyway, so, uh, and they were, we thought they'd be, you know, well-received, but they were a big deal. And then, so that ended up as a sort of a four-year contract for me, or uh, four one-year contracts. Each year, that, and this company were the good old boys down in Dallas, Texas, Waco, Texas, where Dr. Pepper was supposedly headed. So you've heard more than you want to hear about <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Pepper. But uh, it was really cool in the 70s, you know. And we had all kinds of people who wanted, once once we were on the air, people who wanted to become, you know, or didn't mind being in these commercials. So we would always cast each year uh, new faces like, I'm trying to think of who were all the famous people.
1: Mickey Rooney was one.
2: Mickey Rooney did a spot uh, which was uh, the the the... Co- the, the The worry for the advertising agency was we weren't going to sing any lyrics. We were just going to whistle the tune. And do you think it would catch audiences understand what we're doing? It's like, well, we're completely covered in Dr. Pepper. I think they'll know what it's about. (laughs) But, you know, his agent was, you have him for one hour. This is Mickey Rooney now. This is Mickey Rooney. we are going, yeah, (laughs) you have him for an hour. And so we're at this little rented stage, downtown New York, 14th Street on the east side, not a great neighborhood. And Mickey Rooney's, you know, arrives. Well, the hour came. We couldn't get rid of this guy. I mean, three hours into it, he's like, and I got this other idea. We're doing the Mickey Rooney story, you know. And we're like, Mickey, we got other stuff to shoot.
0: We're
2: going to have to, you know, move on. (laughs) Couldn't believe it. So it's the difference between what agents tell you and when we actually get the person there. It's night and day difference, generally speaking, you know. Um, and so that was a cool idea. So that that basically then uh, that put me on the map. You know, these were national commercials, so they're on TV both east and west coast. And in those days, you know, where when, this was before the they got wise to you'd, you'd be on a, it'd be a national network. Commer- oh, Good Morning. Nice. <laughs> uh, let's try one more time for a howl. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah, I can take a little of that. <laughs> So, you
1: <laughs> uh, I think it's really cool that you had a top five hit on the radio. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the origins of that?
2: Yes. Uh, that, does anybody know the name of that particular endeavor? Making it. Very close. Making, you. making, making, yeah. it making, like you had, making. You're lunch? not making. You want to make breakfast? You can make. No, it's really. <laughs> that was <there's laughs> a. Sex? So, like, wow. We went, really, we went 180 right there. We had minors in the audience. But that was a series uh, on ABC. That's really what, you know, from the Dr. Pepper, the, uh, these producers from L.A. had this show based on Saturday Night Fever called Making It, a pilot with a 13-episode uh, order already at Paramount. And so they say, we're going to do a series, and we're just going to, ABC gave them 13 shows to do and figure it out. So they came to New York, where I was living at the time, and said, "We want you to be in the show." Uh, and it was, a, you know, as I said, it was a spinoff of Saturday Night Fever, which was obviously a huge hit. So uh, went out to LA, Holly you know, in, in Paramount Studios, started the show, and it turned out that the part I was cast for, there were two, basically two of us, uh, the guy who was the young guy working hard and going to the disco and his older brother who didn't get along with you know mom and dad but was like the disco guy that was the original part I was cast for with the older brother who was at the disco uh, uh, and it turned out that whoever they cast in the younger, ro- part, younger brother role hadn't had any experience whatsoever not just a little bit of I don't know where they got this guy maybe they, I, it was set in New Jersey I think they got him from New Jersey uh, and so they, you know, day before we're going to shoot. Now, sitcoms, four or three or four-camera shows, are shot in front of a live audience one day a week, and the other four days you're rehearsing and tweaking the script or getting major rewrites. So that this was the day, and you have to stay on that schedule. We hadn't even shot the pilot, and we're already falling behind with recasting. And I was freaked out. They called me into the office. I go, I'm next, you know, because we heard. I forget the fellow's name. Frank. I think his name is Frank. What happened to Frank? Uh, Frank's not coming back after lunch And they said that They want to see you at 2 And I was like I'm next <laughs> And they went in. I went in And they said uh, We want you to play Frank's part And uh, we're going to recast Your role right now I went, Wow, okay I'm here to talk about This title song What's the title about? They go Well, the show's called Making It It's a song That's been written by uh, These guys uh, Dino Ficaris And Freddie Perrin Who have these Songs that are currently, well, they have music in the soundtrack for, for uh, Saturday Night Fever, but they've also written Reunited, Peaches and Herb, Shake Your Groove Thing. You know these songs, oh, wow. some of you. <laughs> I will <won't>. Hello. <laughs> uh, oh. Uh, yeah, so they, they were these heavy-duty music makers. So I said I'd love to get a chance at uh singing the title song because now i'm playing sort of the title character of the guy who's going through life making it so uh I, these producers were able to you know pull strings anywhere called them up they said yeah come on over tomorrow i go over to their studio uh and i listen and met them and they said well here's some tracks and we'll you know come back tomorrow and we'll we'll uh see how you do and they said we've kind of got the Four Seasons sort of, like, in mind for this. I mean, Four Seasons, to sing Making It? Well, I changed that idea. (laughs) So I sort of listened to the song. It made sense that this was a guy who was sort of autobiographical, you know. (laughs) This was the the idea of the series is, hey, you know, I'm doing this, I'm working here, I'm studying, living at home, and I'm making it. Well... Uh, so I, I went back, the, you know, that next day, and, and sang for them, and they went, "Where are you from?" I said, uh, "Connecticut." He goes, it's, "It sounds a little Connecticut." I went, "Oh, uh, I went to school in Philly." He goes, "Give me Philly." I want Philly. <laughs> so I'm in a studio, I'm going, give him Philly. You know, that's the kind of direction you get from, from the record guys, you know. So that's what I did. I gave him Philly. So I'm, I'm making it, you know. So I sing this song, and they go, "Yeah, let's do it." So it was sort of Thanksgiving weekend for us. Thanksgivings in November, mm-hmm. and uh, over that Thanksgiving weekend, we knocked out this uh, song in about ten hours or so, tracking twenty-four tracks. I've never been in a twenty-four track studio. Well, actually, I had I sang the jingles for the Dr. Pepper stuff, so I felt like I was trained. I was qualified. <laughs> And so RSO label re, uh, re, uh, released the film, uh, the, the, the song, the single, on a 45. Now, RSO is Robert Stigwood organization. You know They had this little group called the Bee Gees, yeah, which yeah. was their main group. And uh, so they had the rights, and they were going to release it, and it was on their record label, and I signed a contract with RSO. Little did I know they wouldn't be in business very long because the Bee Gees wanted, you know, wanted out. You know, this is back really at the beginning of those times when bands were going, wait a second, why do we need you? You know, uh, it's not like today. You know, I mean, this is before computers. You know, you couldn't have just a program and sing it, you know, and make your little sound studio at home and make your own album, as many people have, and darn well, too. This was, you had to go through the 24-track, you had to buy studio time, things were expensive, so whatever the... uh, The Bee Gees had a falling out with RSO, so they RSO said, "We're just going to disband the label, and out with you know many of their other artists was my making it song." But it started at like 80 something on the charts, kept you know climbing up the top 40, went to number five, and I was looking going, "I'm ahead of Eric Clapton." How'd that happen? And uh, it was quite an extraordinary experience.
1: did did you get to do any uh concerts or live i did some
2: live stuff i did live uh merv griffin live from las vegas you know merv griffin had a show a variety show you know and uh that's none of this stuff is fun um you know rocking new year's eve with dick dick clark right uh you know saturday night what was another one um american bandstand i was on another dick clark production super nice really nice guy uh 'Cause you know, like at the MERV, you don't get to rehearse. You know, they're going, Okay, you're up after Lola Falana and Rich Little's gonna do some comedy and then you. Uh oh? You know, so you kind of look, you say, Well, let's see where, where is this even the audience is filled, you know, three, four hundred people, studio television audience. We're live from Las Vegas, supposedly live. I mean it's it's pre recorded. And uh you know, you look out and it's a skinny stage, and it goes like many showrooms in Las Vegas. It goes for miles in either direction, I, and I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm gonna have to fill that stage, just me <laughs> singing to tracks, you know, with a live mic, and uh, you can see it. It's you know, it's on YouTube or something, and it's it looks like a guy in, in a race. You know, that's me trying to, you know, as I said, unrehearsed, unrehearsed stuff. So it's fun to do.
1: Right. Now, uh, American Werewolf in London. Heard of it. Yes. Uh, first of all, for, for an 80s movie, it does not feel like it if you watch it now. It still holds up. Uh, the, the effects were ahead of its time. The acting was amazing. Uh, how did you get that part?
2: Uh, you know, that was one of the easier things I've ever had to, you know, sort of secure was that uh, it wasn't a big screen test. I've done st- tests and things for projects I didn't get. I mean, we can have that list, you know, but uh, and those were always, you know, pretty involved. This was not this was just an arrangement uh, through an agent to, uh, calling John Landis, who was looking for his two leads. This was his project that he had written when he was 21 years old, and he needed to find the two guys, as they were calling him. I need to cast the boys because Rick Baker needs him. Rick Baker was, of course, on board. These were uh, they were collaborating together, John and, and Rick, on this movie, and he needed to uh, Rick needed the guys as soon as possible to, to start torturing them, which is <laughs> what, what happened to us. So uh, John just basically in his office at, at Universal sat down and we talked about just things and let, let me get to know you. He is uh, he had already been coming off of. Uh, Animal House and the Blues Brothers, big hits. So you don't really know, you know, you're sitting in the waiting room going, I don't really know what this guy, this director looks like, let alone I was quite surprised to see we were about the same age, you know, and that uh, here we are in 1980, uh, October, and uh, we're, co- we're talking about this movies. So he's a very funny, high energy guy, and he gives me the script and says, Read this! Call me tomorrow. Writes down this office number. This is all unusual in terms of what I was, what my experience was as an actor, like how <laughs> things work. Everybody has their own way, and I went, okay, I'll read the script and call you tomorrow. So I'm, in, I'm going home. Going, hey, I want to read this cool, an American Werewolf in London. He didn't say much about it in our meeting, um, and so I read it, and it was. You know, pretty cool. You know, there's like one line of David transforms into a werewolf. Turn the page. Oh, scene six. So you see, you know, there wasn't a big long description of what that was going to entail. And I called him the next day and he said, So do you want to be a werewolf? Which was sort of like, you know, the tagline Would you like to be a pepper too? So he was saying, Would you like to be a werewolf? Uh, I went, Okay, I think I would. Uh, What's that going to tell you? He says, You got to get over to Rick Baker's uh, shop right away and i went over to rick baker's shop which was this like rented space because rick you know in the last few years i mean from now going back had his own building with over 100 employees seven oscars on his but when i met him he had rented this rented garage space <laughs> with a you know a bunch of look like high school graduates who were keen to be apprentices in the makeup it would, it business, which wasn't a business, but they wanted to learn from Rick, and Rick taught these young guys what was going to happen. And I went in to his shop and said, hi. He goes, who, who are you? I'm David Naughton. He goes, "What which role are you playing? I said, I'm playing the role of David. And he goes, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been my first clue. <laughs> you feel sorry for me? Well, uh, so we got right into doing the, you know, the makeup, which he says, now this is going to you know, there wasn't like anything I could do research-wise about who's Rick Baker. You know, let me Google Rick Baker, and see who he's worked with, and what should I know about Rick? Nothing. You just kind of, you know. And at that time, I was, you just kind of go go all in. You know, you're all in or you're not. And particularly for when it comes to this kind of special makeup, you can't hold back any no hesitations. What do you want me to do now? Okay, what we're going to do and they did molds, and I'm sure many of you have seen. Scenes or maybe the extra scenes, so I don't need to explain it. But you know, we did molds of my arms and my legs, and it's you're in a quick drying vat for like 20 minutes, and then you try to pull your leg out of it, you try to pull your arm out of it, and then they have the beginning of what's going to be a mold of your exact arm or you know, leg. And that was all interesting and fun, but then it said, Now we're going to do your head. (laughs) I go, My head? Uh, yeah, we're going to do it five times you know some straight some neutral some with withdrawal some with snarl and it's gonna take you know 20 20 minutes or so apiece each time and um, we don't have to all do them in one day oh okay I mean <laughs> I come back uh, and find out what that was and that's a whole different experience when you get a mold of your head um, it's it's not fun you know it's you you got to trust that they know what they're doing. He said, have you done it before? It said, we did it once. <laughs> oh, is he still here? Yeah, he's still here. <laughs> so they do it, and they do this mold. And it's just like if you broke your arm and they put this, you know, like cast of it, they do that to your head. And uh, you're just basically breathing out of your nose, and uh, you're waiting for them to take the damn thing off. And they go, this is great, you know. So that was it. This was all before we even started shooting the film, you know. But I wanted to just impress upon how quick this thing the beginning and to the end was. I met John Landis in October. The, the following August, the movie was released. So, <clears throat> and in that time, we went to England and shot this 10-week or so uh, movie. Had an editor there. Uh, there were just a few of us with work permits. And we were, they had apparently already... Uh, uh, scouted locations for Paris. Our film, in case we couldn't get... Because we were fighting with, we, the company was fighting with the British equity to get permission, four work permits, for us to be there to make this movie, where they were insisting we, you yeah, know, John... Uh, interview and audition other actors for these roles. They go, "Oh sure, we'll we'll hold auditions for those roles. The molds are already being made back in LA, but yeah. yeah, we'll do whatever it takes to get these these work permits, which is what you have to do. You have to jump through a lot of hoops to get things done. But they were scouting locations in in France uh in case we couldn't now every other role and all the jobs and all the crew are all British, you know. And yet it was still a struggle to actually get permission to shoot this movie. So uh-huh. they go, well, what's the movie about? And John wouldn't give the script. You know, these are all supposedly. It's funny. He wouldn't get the script to them, although it was all over Hollywood when he was trying to raise financing for it. Um, huh. they were keeping it a secret, I'm sure. I don't know if they would have given him permission if they read the script. <laughs> what actually happens? These people are getting killed. <laughs> So,
1: (laughs) how was Landis as a director?
2: He's uh, he's um, you know a ball of energy. He still is. I mean, he's still a very bright guy with tons of energy. He likes to play jokes. He's always putting you on. Um, That's probably not everybody's uh, you know way to work. It's like be sincere. Tell me, but he's not like that, you know. And it keeps, but that keeps the atmosphere light. Um, We were dealing with subjects, you know, the undead, you know for me personally in my little arc of a role of going you know I had to come up with how do you play this character um, in a way that's believable uh, that's always you know for most you know usually what you start with and truthful and I always saw this character of David Kessler as a guy with a terminal illness you know he's been given news like he's terminal and who how do you deal with that you know that you're you're dealing with um, you know you've been given a a death sentence, and you don't believe it, and that was more helpful than you're going to turn into a werewolf, and you're part of this thing, you know, this undead, the unnatural. So I just try to keep that sort of grounded in that way, and, and that helped. Um, one of the questions I get often was, "Did you, did I know uh, Brian Glazer? These are the guys in the pub, and there's Rick Mayall, who was, I guess, had a, quite a good career. He's since passed away uh, in Britain as a comic." and people ask me um, in fact we were in uh, Manchester, England last weekend and that was a lot of the questions I was asked is did I know Rick Mayall because he was you know a guy that everybody very popular there and I said he wasn't I think he just was happy to have the gig because he didn't have any lines but he was one of these characters in the pub and how well do we get to know them I said well you know we were you know Taking the American me- not method, I don't like to use the word method approach, but we were friends in the film, so there was no need to be chummy with them off camera either. <laughs> you know, we were going to stay, and it's not hard to do is stay, you know, as an outsider when you're an American working in British soil. You, you know, you feel it pretty instantly, and uh, and it helps.
1: Cool. Any you guys have any? Anybody questions? Anybody have questions? Thanks for
2: your attention. Yes.
1: Me? Uh, Just wondering, you said uh, you had to have work uh, uh, permits to be in uh, in England, to work in England. Was there any struggles with the scene where you're trying to get arrested and you need to uh, yell out certain... uh
2: about Prince Charles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that's what people have asked me to write on my photos. And I go, this was in Manchester. I go, could you write down Prince Charles's banking? <laughs> I'm trying to leave on Monday. I want to get out of here, you know? Could you write down? That's all right. I go, he's now the king. Did any- <laughs> have you read the papers? So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it was. It's, that's a funny scene. You know, when you're in a film, you think nothing can go wrong, and that's one of the dangers. Is that when you're rolling and you're set up and it's all lit, you know, that's where accidents can happen on sets. When you go, wait a second, we're making this movie. It's the, it's a make believe, but it's our reality, and and so nothing should nothing should happen, because it's not in the script. But sometimes things do happen. Fortunately, that's not you know. That scene went off pretty well. Everybody's an actor or an extra atmosphere in the, that particular scene. Um, we shot it pretty quickly. There are a number of scenes in the film where we had to shoot pretty quickly. You know, I should tell you, like, the very first day of shooting was all the porn stuff. <laughs> Jeez. It's, it's John Landis' idea of what a porn movie must... Now, if you listen to that dialogue, it's, you know, it's crazy hilarious. <laughs> but you, you so the first day, the whole crew almost walked off the movie. He's going, what are we making? <laughs> he goes, no, 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 this is going to be playing. No, no, you guys. And so there was always that sort of distance between John and his vision and the crew. Because John was highly animated. I guess in a, in a word, he liked to yell. You know, and it's not sort of the British way, I guess. But they were like freaked out. This guy's out of his mind. This is the first day. Where he says, "No, no, it gets better. I kill all these people, and there's all this kind of neat stuff." And <clears throat> anyway, so uh, that's you know just one of those things with with John. He he'd always yell, "More blood! More blood! No, no, more blood!" <clears throat> he had a thing with Rick. <clears throat> excuse me. Where. You know, during the transformation, which I should tell you, that was the last thing we shot. We shot the entire movie and just had the transformation to shoot. So it was really, I wasn't done with like, hey, we're coasting to the end. It was like climbing the mountain. This the hardest thing for me to do on the show was the last week, which is unfair. (laughs) But um, it, uh, so we wrapped everybody, had the transformation, and Rick's, you know, Rick is a, as people have known, and we've we realized very early, this guy is a perfectionist. You know, he is an artist. I'm not going to be ready ever You know, until he says, because that was the deal he made with John, was give me a lot of time and the money I need to make the effects that I think that you want, because nobody really knew how it was going to look. It hadn't been done before. And they, even if you storyboard, and you know what storyboarding, where you're basically drawing out pictures of the scene, he had this transformation storyboarded, to give himself a reference point and where where's you know the character at this point. And it was nice for me to look and go, yep, start, yep, oh he gets really bad oh the end. Yes. So I, I knew because I'd have ten hours a day of makeup for five days for this transformation scene at the end. And, you know, the calls would be at like five or four thirty AM, you know, pick up to go to the makeup you know, you drive you know to get to the uh, studio. We were using uh, Twickenham Studios, which is sort of in West London, uh, and have plenty of time to think about what it was going to be like that day because I'd be sitting in this makeup chair forever, waiting for John to or uh, Rick to say, you know, you're ready. He never said you're ready. In fact, he was still you know touching up. You're walking out the door. and, We're going to go shoot now, Rick. You no, know, and uh, John would be just like, okay. The, you know the crew would be called at like two in the afternoon. Small crew. What are we doing? We're on this set that looks like the apartment, and uh, we take do a couple of takes of whatever it was or whatever point in that transformation was being done. And John would go, "Perfect, we got it. That's it." And we go, "No, no, wait, wait. What are you talking about? <laughs> this took me four months to make." <laughs> John just, and? and that's what John's like. And I've got it. No, no, can't we shoot? Just shoot what? I'm not going to use it. No, no, I I took. We're going Rick. I'm going Rick. It'll be okay. (laughs) Can I get out of this now? (laughs) Because it was, uh, it was, it's you know, it's not fun. I mean, for a while it's fun, and then it's no fun, and then there's nothing you can do about the fact that you're past the no fun part. You're still going to be here for five or six more hours. (laughs) And uh, it was. Any other? How much trepidation did you feel about uh, the scene where you're waking up with the wolves? <coughs> a lot of trepidation. <laughs> a lot. Think of a lot. Think more. <laughs> you know, uh, that was one of these once one-offs, as they call them. You know, I was going to do this once, and that, at least according to me. That doesn't mean a whole lot. <coughs> but... I, you know, it was a set that was built at the zoo, and I have some stories about the zoo I should tell you. Like <laughs> the zoo, we, we're 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 in, you know, when I'm running across and grab the red coat and run. Well, I look? I go. Why do we need all those extras up there? They go. Those aren't extras. The zoo's open. <laughs> <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> We overstayed our, well, you know, the allotted time, and then the zoo opens, you know. You have until two hours before it opens to shoot this little scene. But they had other things. They always add stuff. Well, while we're here, why don't we, you know, so there was that stuff. There was the lady that I come out from behind the, the bush, and there's the lady, you know, who doesn't say anything. And I just go, excuse me. Well, they tell an extra. They get this lady who's an extra for the day. Now, she's just there to make a few, you know, a few bucks, and she doesn't know what she's necessarily <laughs> going to be asked to do, if anything. But they ask her, if she'd come walking down the path. Stop. The man's going to come out from behind, say something to you. You don't have to re- reply, and then he's just going to dive and exit this this little thing, dive behind the bush. Okay. Well. She didn't realize. They don't tell her that I'm going to be naked. (laughs) They didn't tell me I was going to be naked. So she was freaked out. In fact, if you look, her eyes are like, oh, my God. (laughs) And they just stayed there. You know, cut. She's like, can I look now? (laughs) Yes, you may look now. That was one. And. and, you know, the naked, you know, the naked American man stole my balloons. I've had to write many times on pictures. Uh, that kid's about 50 now, I'm sure. But, um, you know, uh, oh, and the wolves, which was your question originally. I think it's time for a haul. What do you think? One, two, three. How's that? Are you picking that up on your recording? That's cool. uh, So it was once one... A one-off, basically. I said, I'm going to just do this once. They go, okay, we're going to bring in the wolves. And I go, are they? They go, well, they're not tame, but they've been fed. <laughs> I swear, that's what, that was the answer I got. Oh, okay, they've been fed. And I didn't ask the next question. What did you feed them? <laughs> but there were three of them, two females and a male, supposedly. One, one of the females was supposedly coming into season, as it were. And, uh, you know, it's like, could you make this any, you know, more difficult? Uh, I was supposed to wake up, see them. They see me. Of course, they saw me before I saw them. They didn't act that way, though. And then I was supposed to get out, and I said, uh, there's no door. So they said, no, you got to go up and out over the top. <laughs> oh, okay. We're doing this once. I'm not getting back in there with it. And they said, just no large or, or loud noises and no fast movements. And I went... Well, there'll be no loud noises, but I'm not exactly going to wait around <laughs> for, these, for these wolves. And so it worked, you know. So many scenes in this film worked the first time. Um, it, we've realized that here's a scene in Piccadilly Circus. You know, we'd come, there's a big car crash. We didn't have permission for this scene. Uh, this was like a scene that they call a stolen scene We're what do you mean you can't get permission? This is everybody. This is a major point in the film. So at the pre-dawn hours one day on the set, on the shooting schedule, with cameras mounted all over Piccadilly Circus, with stuntmen and all these little cars on the five avenues that converge on Piccadilly Circus, this giant roundabout, we shot the scene, and I had to, I had to be there to see this thing that they were describing. Going, this is going to be good, Dad. You want to see this one, Dad? <laughs> I went, okay. So. Action. You see this. Wah, kir, 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 all these sounds. Crashes. Boom. Then you're cut. And they all drove away. <laughs> and it was gone in less than three minutes. And if anybody picked up like, there's a major accident. Oh, no, no, never mind. <laughs> well, there was this major accident in Piccadilly Circus, and nobody, uh, you know, never knew the difference. We got that. They had another set built to look like Piccadilly, where they went in and did all the close-up stuff that they needed with, you know, the thing with John in it. John goes, that's the director. I don't know if you've ever read that, but there's a scene in the movie where he's in the... You know, he's being one of the many victims of the buses and the crash. And he had to do a stunt. So he goes back through, like, a, a you know, breakaway glass and into a, you know, a, a, build, a, a shop of some kind. That's John Landis. I think he was a big Alfred Hitchcock fan, he, which he was. Uh, he had to appear in the movie somewhere. <laughs> and that's it. It was a lot of fun games, folks. But, uh, you know, th- one of the fun things about it was being, you know, on location... You don't have a lot of Hollywood pressure. You don't have, you know, people. But our executive producers were John Peters and Peter Guber, who were guys, you know, that have obviously big careers. And they came over, and I just remember the day they did. It was so weird. It was like, who are these guys coming in on our movie? You know, because we felt like we were making this little, this little picture um, all by ourselves with, you know fun and we had Jenny Agater who's kept going I don't understand you guys you know which was she was quite a good sport too because there were Griffin and me and Rick well Rick we never saw Rick he was off somewhere you know tweaking the hairs off one of the wolves I don't know anything else I should just tell you yes you had a question you and Griffin seemed to have great chemistry during the movie to have you remain friends. And well, that's what you always plan on doing. <coughs> yeah. And have they come to you two guys to say, hey, we want you two guys together in a film together again? Or No, you know, it's just, it's sort of like, I learned this on Making It when, you know, that was the first show I was uh, on where I had a family unit where, you know, and you're like, you know, we feel like family they cast us as family I guess we're going to stay together aren't we you know <laughs> you have that yeah you have that sort of false idea like we'll stay in touch and it's the same you know you, when you're wrapped see you sign out I mean that's the sort of weirdness of 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 uh, of filmmaking and you know working as an actor is like he's not really your, you know my best friend but Griffin's great he's not going to these shows I go why not Griffin come on i <laughs> know. Together again. (laughs) David and Jack appearing at, you know, Frightmare in the Falls. Come on. (laughs) I know. You guys would be great as buddy cops. What buddy cops? (laughs) (laughs) You chase them. No, you chase (laughs) them. No, you chase them. I got the car. Yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think it's Two questions. That's (laughs) For This is my last one. Oh, okay. You got, you got one question? <laughs> At the time, David, did you have any idea that
1: it was going to become the, uh, the massive classic? That it's-
2: no, we thought it was going to be uh, scary. We were hoping it was going to be scary. But, you know, and one of the things that we got criticized for was, what's with all this comedy? You know, um, this is a time, you know, when Griff... Uh, John Landis wrote this script pretty brilliantly, which is funny to start with, but get ready folks, as soon as we get attacked, it's gonna get dark, and it does, There's, but then Griffin comes back in various forms of decay with that same sense of humor, that same kind of buddy stuff, and. Uh, And it was funny because on the inside, Griffin was hating the makeup, like, wow, I'm in this really cool movie with John Landis' movie, and I look like this, you know. We went, yes, you do. And and all Rick would say to him is, did you read the script? You did read. This is the part where you decay. Uh, But so we had, I mean, how do you predict anything? You know, movies with much bigger budgets than what we were doing, uh, you know, are usually earmarked to be, this is going to be a smash, studios who are experts. And, you know, look at all the flops in the world, how many times, you never know. Um, And I'll tell you, this wasn't a hit right off the bat. This wasn't a right out of the gate release. John knew he has a following because of the Blues Brothers, which was, you know, massive, global film, totally different. Kentucky Fried Movie is another wacky thing. So he was into the comedy music thing. Um, thriller, of course, which was, uh, you know, coming. Well, obviously, it wasn't out. Came out after ours, but, you know, so people were going to see a John Landis movie, thinking they were gonna, it was going to be a yuck, you know, a lot of laughs. And so the poster said, "From the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal." That's what his, you know, marketing strategy was. This movie is not don't come in here thinking this is going to be oh you'll laugh until you don't you know it, and a lot of people left I saw people leaving oh man it was too oh, it was way too whatever horrific I was scared I go well stick around because it gets scarier <laughs> so we didn't know I, I certainly had no idea um, it was just a couple of just an anecdote the first time I saw the movie was alone at universal because I was going to be doing some publicity and I said well I got to see what you know, I remember my experience shooting this movie, but what you shoot and what you see are always so different, you know. And, and uh, it, this is one of those films where everything we shot is on the screen. I mean, there, wasn't, there are not bonus scenes left in 15 minutes cut out of the movie. It's a tight 96 or whatever it is. And uh, we shot every scene that was written by John, with the exception of a few ad-libs. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's a cold and a wet out here. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, But very few, you know, but uh, that's the thing. And and so uh, when it came time to premiere, it was like August 1981. We're in Times Square in New York, and I bring my parents to our opening night. In Manhattan, the Lowe's Theater, in New York City, Times Square. And there's all this press there, and some of these big film critics, Siskel and Ebert, those guys that used to be big film critics. So I'm spending the time, they go, You gotta go talk, because there's always publicity people going, You need to go speak to such and such now. I'm going, i got to tell my parents what this movie's about. I gotta, I'm trying to prepare my mother for what she's about to see. But what I didn't realize, I really had to prepare my father for what he was about to see. Because afterwards, I remember he was asked by someone, an interviewer, what did you think of the movie? And he said... I, I really I don't know what to say <laughs> perfect dad thanks that's all that's all I got from my dad on that. so this is not a movie that was really made for you I think is how I started oh boy but that's it um, uh, you know I think it, as I said it didn't start as a, a hit it was there was uh, mixed reviews and the criticism being what about this horror comedy you know juxtaposed and uh, but Rick's makeup was one that made it a must-see for people. You know that transformation scene holds its own uh, as far as never see, You know, never really been done in bright light, not with trick cameras or you know sleight of hand. It happened right in front of you, and we filmed what had happened. Rick's brilliance of you know making a hand that stretches. It's not like a balloon where it'll just distort. I mean, they built this. Uh, arm which they wouldn't give me of course can i have the arm no <laughs> uh, and all these other effects you know and uh it, it's pretty special so it blew people's minds they would see it again and again and you know it, it it made a lot of people want to become makeup artists and special effects artists i don't know if there are any in the room but you know some people gave it a lot of thought like i that's what i want to do and <laughs> And there's nothing really more flattering, you know, really, than to have somebody uh, say, that was so good, I want to do it now. So that's what Michael Jackson said. (laughs) You know, Michael, come on. There was a point where he was doing Pepsi commercials and I said I did Dr. Pepper he's got to do I do this transformation and now he's got to do I go what the heck are we talking about come on get your own
0: tender he was a huge fan did he ever contact you I know he hired John because of
2: yeah he. no he didn't call me to discuss but I met him at a thing this was when my song was happening you know my record he came but he was so shy uh so incredibly shy. You'd try to go to talk to him, and he'd just be, you know, like some of these great performers, and he, you know, talk about the king of pop. He'd just stand there like, Are you here for the dance lesson? You know, <laughs> that's the kind of vibe you'd give off. And you go, That's Michael Jackson you're talking to. He was so withdrawn, just like, Hi. <laughs> very, very sweet. A tragedy.
1: Yes? I was just wondering, uh,
2: just to change topics uh, working on Seinfeld how that was Uh, Seinfeld was this was I think the second season 91 or 92 so they weren't exactly runaway stars at this point Um, the reason I say that is uh, you know they they were still they still had that actor angst that are we are we going to get renewed you know do they like us Um, so but it was fun you know it's fun it was a fun show. It was funny to be on. Larry David, who was the executive producer, uh, he cast me, I think, because we had done a show in a couple of years prior to that, before he became like Larry David, the executive producer writer. He was a performer on a show called uh, Fridays, which was a show that was live TV. I mean, live. We did it live on the air Uh And it was sort of a takeoff on Saturday Night Live, which I'm sure you've seen uh, over these years, yeah. So, but this was Fridays, which was uh, you know um, a little brother of the show in an attempt. But he was one of the cast members, Um, and so he knew you know he knew me from working together on that show. Uh, But it was really you know it's a fun show and it's it's. It wasn't for everybody then, but it's, again, another one of those things that I think has grown in its appreciation.
1: was it
2: Michael Richards on that show? Michael Richards was on Fridays as yeah. well, yeah. So, you know, you kind of look through it and you see, um, look through a person's resumes and go, hey, well, there's a thing, you know, on the IMDB uh, app, I'm not sure if you know, that's the International Movie Database. And you see where it says connections. There's the connections, a little, which I like to look at too. Going, what do you mean we work together? You know, <laughs> on what? And, or and what it does, it says you might have five connections where you work with the same person twice, and the other person works. Kevin Bacon. The Kevin, yeah, sort of like that. But <laughs> but uh, well, I think we're about close to running this out of time, and I think I've milked the uh, how thing a little bit to the <laughs> very bitter end. One more. Yeah, should we do one more for Professor journey? on one, two, three. Oh! Music to my ears. Thanks for
1: Thanks for listening. To hear more We Got the Geek, check us out at www.wegotthegeek.com and on iTunes.